The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Lord to you, Lord. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us and do not subject us to the final test. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend to whom he goes at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived at my house from a journey and I have nothing to offer him. And he says in reply from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, if he does not get up to give the visitor the loaves because of their friendship, he will get up to give him whatever he needs because of his persistence. And I tell you, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish, or hand him a scorpion when he asks for an egg? If you then, who are wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good evening, everyone. My name is Father Daniel Maurer, and if I don't say this before my homily before at Mass, sometime, usually someone comes up to me afterwards and, and says, I'm from the United States. Someone comes after, after me afterwards and says, Father, you speak pretty good English for being from Russia. <laughs> I've been a missionary in Russia for the last 27 years. I live in Russia. I'll be going back to Russia in another four weeks here. Uh, in this country, full disclosure, I'm from the parish of St. Joseph in the city of St. Joseph, Michigan. And so I feel right at home here among all the Josephites uh, in this parish. I'd like to uh, situate our mission for you in Russia because as you know, Russia is the largest country in the world, 11 time zones. We have four here in the United States. Russia is almost half the globe. So before, uh, we start, I'd like to remind you that Moscow and St. Petersburg are in the very far northwest corner of Russia. Vladivostok, the city that I've been in for the last 27 years, is in the very far southeast corner of Russia, over on the Pacific Ocean, over by communist North Korea, that is still Russia. Uh, every day there are four Boeing 747s that fly between Vladivostok and Moscow. It's a nine and a half hour flight nonstop and you're still in the same country. 
It's by far the largest country in the world. When I got to Russia in 1992, one month after the Soviet Union collapsed, I did not know much about the Catholic Church in Russia. We always knew that Russia had been a very orthodox Christian country. Now I know that at the time of the revolution, when I say the revolution, I mean the communist revolution of 1917, already 102 years ago, the worst cataclysm in the history of humanity. At that time, there were 19 million Roman Catholics in Russia, the largest of the Catholic churches, larger by far than any of the, of the Oriental um, Catholic rites. 19 million, most from Poland, from Germany, from other countries of the Austria-Hungarian Empire, but Russian citizens for many generations, and they had spread out throughout this entire vast country and created 550 parishes. That doesn't sound like a lot. You divide 19 million by 550, and each parish is immense. The reason for that was because it was an Orthodox country and the Tsar was the head of the Orthodox Church and always limited the amount of parishes that the Roman Catholics could build. So there were only 550 parishes in this vast, vast country. At the time of the revolution, Vladivostok, a frontier town, was a much smaller city than it is today. Today it's 700,000 people larger than the city of San Francisco. But then it was about 120,000, probably about one, one and a half percent of the population, 15,000 Roman Catholics in the parish of the Most Holy Mother of God. They had just finished building a beautiful brand new neo-Gothic church at the time that the communists arrived there. It took them five years to get from St. Petersburg, the, the beginning of the revolution, all the way out to the Pacific Ocean. So in 1922, they arrived and our parish was 15,000 members, Roman Catholics, baptized in the church. Within 20 years of the Russian Revolution, from 1917 until 1937, all 28 Russian Orthodox churches in Vladivostok, the small city of 100,000 people, all 28 churches were systematically destroyed, physically destroyed. They no longer exist. And the two largest churches, the beautiful Cathedral of the Assumption on the, actually they call it the Dormition, uh, on the main square of Vladivostok, and a new basilica to Mary, Orthodox basilica. They were blown up by dynamite in 1937 on Easter Sunday f to show the Christian people of Russia that now they had to stand on their own two feet and to build the brave new world of atheism and communism. They did not destroy our beautiful brand new Gothic church. It still stands today, thanks be to God. They did not destroy it because there was an easier way of solving the Catholic problem. We were only one and a half percent of the population. They simply killed everyone. And they did that everywhere in Russia. There are more martyrs in the Soviet Union in the 20th century than in all of the other countries in the world in the 2,000-year history of Christianity put together. Conservatively estimated, at least 400,000 people were murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ in the 20th century. M many of them were children. 
it was a death sentence for parents to teach their own children anything at all about God. It was, it, it was forbidden by law for 65 years, and it was very, very strictly enforced. So parents could ensure that their child would be killed if they taught him about God. So the faith did not just go underground. The faith disappeared completely because the, the next generation did not, they did not believe because their parents did not want them to be killed. Father Myron, another American and myself, were the first two Americans, the first two priests actually in the Russian Far East. Uh, we were very naive about the persecution. We knew that there had been a persecution, but we thought that now the church would be able to come back up above ground and flourish again. But everything was completely destroyed. But of those 15,000 members of our parish, that were baptized there before it was closed in 1930. We, have, we arrived in February of 92, put advertisements on the radio, on TV, in the newspapers to say that the Catholics are back. We did not have the church building back yet. It was taken away and made the archive building of the communist state government in order to have more room for the archival historical collection of the documents, they built three stories in the interior of the church. It was a taller church, maybe as tall as the original church here. You could, I, don't, I haven't seen how tall that might be, but um, four stories, steel, steel reinforced concrete stories, three of them added to the church. We received the church back in two years, but we've been looking for the the remnants of our parish, and of the 15,000, we have been able to find 15 people who survived the persecution. They all had children and grandchildren, and some of them had great-grandchildren by then, and so they became the seeds of the newly sown parish of the Most Holy Mother of God. And now, thanks be to God, we have a thriving little parish of about 350 people. We have baptized more than 600 in the years that we've been there, but people go and come and they've left Russia, they've left the Far East because it's economically depressed and there are not that many jobs. But we have a thriving parish of about 350. Every Sunday, about 160, 180 people come to Mass. Uh, and we now have an English Mass for the en English-speaking students uh, in the, the major university in Vladivostok, a university of 45,000 people. And uh, now, just for the last six months, we have a Vietnamese Mass because we have three uh, Vietnamese novices for our new order. What took us to Russia, all, besides being part of the rebirth of the Catholic Church, is to start a new order of the Augustinian Canons Regular. Uh, and we have three novices from Vietnam. They've been there for eight months. Now, there are five places in Vladivostok, now a city of 700,000 people, called the, we call them, the Russians call them the Chinese markets. But little did we know that they're not just Chinese, they're part Vietnamese. So our Vietnamese novices were at several of the Chinese markets and they heard Vietnamese. So they went up to the salespeople and sure enough, uh, they've collected now, in over just in the last six, seven months, 50 Vietnamese Catholics. So now we have on Sunday evening at 8.30, because they work in the, in the markets all day Sunday, it's their biggest day, so they're not free until after seven, so they have to leave and get home and get dressed and get the kids, and mass begins at 8.30. We have 50 Vietnamese, that's more than a third of the Russians that we have after we've been there for 27 years. So you see, it's an uphill struggle because in Russia, the church was completely destroyed. So this is the official 
mission appeal for St. Joseph's this year. Our, our mission was assigned here to St. Joseph's uh, for the mission cooperative appeal, and there will be a second collection, collection immediately following the first collection. And so if you are able to, we are very dependent on these second collections because there are no property in Russia for the church, no schools, no hospitals, no retreat houses, no anything. So we have to start everything again, completely from scratch. Thanks be to God, we now have help. We were the first priests into the Russian Far East. Now there are four Roman Catholic dioceses in Russia. Our diocese is the easternmost diocese from Lake Baikal to the Pacific Ocean. It's a landmass almost the size of the continental United States. And in that landmass, we are now 33 priests. When Father Myron and I got there, we were priests number four and five in the entire apostolic administration at that point. So there's been a lot of progress. And with us, we have our canonesses of Jesus the Lord, four sisters from the United States, whose charism is to live in religious community and work in a parish and help animate the parish, especially in the liturgy. So they're all musicians, and they're all uh, very holy young women from this country. And also with us now for 20 years are the Sisters of Charity of St. Anne from Spain, the first congregation in Spain founded for active apostolic charitable work. And they're wonderful, and they have started a, a, a children's center, and they work extensively uh, with the abandoned elderly uh, and with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and in social work. So things are improving, but they have a long way to go. I don't like to give people any false hope. We prayed for the conversion of Russia all of our lives. Our prayers are being answered, but it's just beginning. And so I'll leave you with this statistic, practicing the faith. Now, the, the Orthodox Church is also growing. And they say that they're, they've had a great victory. And it's true on one level. Because they have, during the, 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 the communist period from 1917, well, actually from 1940 after they killed all the people until 1992, fewer than 8% of the people of the Soviet Union were baptized at all. Fewer than 8% even baptized. Now, after almost 30 years of religious freedom, Baptized are 72% of the population, Orthodox. It sounds like a great victory, but you have to look a little further, a little deeper, and figure out who is practicing their faith. What is the definition of practicing your faith? It's not just believing in your heart. That might be true if there's persecution, but now there's perfect religious freedom in Russia. So what does it mean to practice your faith? And I have a definition. The, le the lowest one I can come to and still make it, call it practicing, and that would be being in church more than twice a year, more than Christmas and Easter. If you go one more time, three times a year, in Russia, I would call that practicing. Children, do not go home and tell your parents that Father Daniel says we're practicing our faith if we're in church three times a year. No. But in Russia, you have to figure out something. By that lowest level of the word practicing that I can find would be 0.5% of the population of Russia, the entire country. Less than one half of 1% 1 
of Russia would be practicing any faith at all according to that low definition. Catholics, Orthodox, Protestants, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, there are no Hindus, but, but uh, um, Buddhists, all in Russia, nobody's practicing anything because the Soviet Union was an equal opportunities destroyer. It destroyed the faith of everyone. So now we find ourselves in this kind of a situation where our young children, we can raise them until they're about 12, 13, and then it dawns on them that they are the only people in their whole class that are practicing a faith. And they feel strange, so they, they don't want to go to church anymore. And their parents don't want to make them hate God by forcing them to go, so it's hard to know what to do. Because you see, the society, the culture, enforces itself. And so, please pray for the conversion of Russia. But hope is here in, the, in the, the people, the missionaries that we have, but still it's the only place in the world today where the Catholic Church is beginning again completely from nothing. In closing, I'd just like to say one other thing. We have in our religious order the first uh, priest ordained for our diocese in the, since our bishop has been there for 17 years. Our first bishop ordained one priest who left the priesthood after a year and two months. In 17 years, we have had not had one ordination until just three months ago in April, our brother Nikita, who is now the third priest ordained for our diocese. I was the first. Uh, and uh, so please pray for, for Father now, Father Nikita. And we also have 13 novices in our order in Vladivostok. Not all for Russia, but we hope that some of them will be ordained for Russia. So please pray for our students, our seminarians. And if uh, you're able to give in the collection today, uh, some of your donations, much of it will go for the education of our priests. We have now 35 seminarians in our order, not all for, for Russia, but you, yours will be going for Russia because this appeal is for the rebirth of the Catholic Church in Russia. And we think it costs about eight to $9,000 a year per major seminarian for Russia. More, you get a bargain because here in the United States, we, the church has done a study about four years ago and they decided that per seminarian, major seminarian in the United States each year, the cost is $40,000 for priesthood in the United States. So uh, it's not that much in Russia. Thank you so much for your warm welcome to me. Thank you for this opportunity. I thank the Archbishop uh, who belongs to the Missionary Cooperative Society that helps us to get the message out for the rebirth of the Catholic Church. There's a table, two tables in the back vestibule with our newsletter, the Vladivostok Sunrise, icons of Our Lady of Vladivostok, uh, videos that have been done professionally for us uh, to help people understand this most needy mission in the Catholic Church today. I'll be back in the back of the church after Mass if anyone wants to ask me some questions. Thank you very much.